ready for the Bible today? Ready for the word today? All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through to 17 is where we're gonna find ourselves today. And before we read, I wanna, I wanna set us up for what we're about to dig into. Um, it's right here where we have the first major transition in our subject matter. Uh, we shift from a general overview of identity as sojourners and exiles, um, our conduct and the centrality, centrality of Jesus in our lives to a discourse on relationships. Civic relationships, cultural relationships, intimate and interpersonal relationships, to be specific. This next section of scripture that we're getting into is a very, very, very technical piece of the letter. And so where it's technical, we have to be tactical. We have to work through it. There's nuance to this, there's some stuff. I'm gonna read some stuff today that for some of us we might go like, Start freaking out a little bit? Don't, okay? So there's a lot of things that we're gonna work through over the course of the next few months. We're gonna stay a while in what I'm calling chapter two, verse 13, all the way to chapter three and verse seven. That's where, and we're gonna spend some time. Here's what I've been encouraged by. This is why I actually am having a lot of fun preaching like this, is because we actually get to take a, like just, we get to kind of wander through it and really dig into it. Because it, it, it's like, it's hard to 23 minutes get a message out. That's actually not how long I speak, you all know that. So. Um, but it, it's hard to work through all the nuances of, of Scripture, so we get to spend a couple weeks, um, a couple months, actually, in, in this section of, of Scripture, and it's gonna be really important for us to do, do so. We're gonna do a lot of work, and what this is gonna highlight for us is this is a section of Scripture all about relationships. So this is the relationship part, and so I'm in a 30,000-foot view. Uh, next weekend is Legacy Offering, and then we move into all of our Holy Week stuff, a few one-off messages within this, and then right after Easter, it's full send into relationships, okay? And again, once we read some of this, you're gonna see how technical the pieces of Scripture that we're reading are um, and why we have to do a lot of work with them. So, with that being the case today, and so you know, when I say relationships, you can check out our social media. We're gonna be talking marriage, singleness, uh, civic engagement, how do we deal with culture around us? How are we supposed to engage uh, in society? Uh, what does God say about some of these things and the, the ethical and, and, and moral ramifications for our decision-making and our engagement in the world around us? And so it's gonna be really important and uh, albeit fascinating a few months around here as we move into the spring season. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. All right, so First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 says this. It says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. How many of you know right here we just wanna close our Bibles and walk out of church? <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? This is, <laughs> this is the second, it tightened up in the first service too. I was like, okay, everybody, here we go. So submit to every human authority. How many of you know right there that just pushes against us right now? Right? Because America. <laughs> Let's read on, verse 15. For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit is free people. Every shout submit. Everybody shout submit. submit. Turn to your neighbor and say submit. submit. Turn back to your neighbor and say don't swear at me. <laughs> submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, 
honor the emperor. Today, as we continue on in our series, you are here, I wanna speak to you from the subject, the house that God built, and here's, here's really the specifics of it, and write this down if you're taking notes today, a house of stature, a house of stature. As we deal with the issue of honor, love, and fear, and navigating our relationship to the culture and society around us. We pray with me just one more time today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would come alive right now. I thank you for every single person in this building today and online. God, I pray that you would just illuminate our hearts and our minds today in and through your word. God, as we take a very um, significant topic, a weighty topic, I pray that there would be lightheartedness and fun and truth at the same time. God, that we would be changed and transformed by your word in this moment. And so we honor you, we fear you today, and we love you. And so I pray that you would build us as living stones into the house you are cultivating us to be. We love you, we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. Amen. Amen. So my four-year-old daughter a little while back ran up to me and grabbed me around my, my thigh and uh, she was hugging me and you know, I was moving around and playing with her and doing that, doing that walk game. And she said to me, she's like, Daddy, you're big, right? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and uh, I know my thighs are abnormally large and uh, it's not my fault, it was created that way. And so, um, but as I was sitting there and she was having this conversation, it was a weird conversation. How many of you know you have weird conversations with four-year-olds, right? And so we played the game a little bit more, but, and, and so I, I remember this moment where she's like, Daddy, you're, you're big, and, and I thought about it because it was a very endearing comment because I'm actually an average size dude. I'm 5'11", right? I weigh, and so. <laughs> <laughs> you would have done the same thing, okay? You know, we try to eat healthy and work out and do all those things, but there, there, are, there are men in this, in this church that are significantly larger than me. You're sitting in this room right now, right? And you're the type of guy that when you walk in, everybody moves. And that's cool, I love it. And as I was thinking about it, there's a reason that that takes place. There's a reason why people interact with size the way that they do, and it's not because of actual physical size, it's because of this issue right here, stature. Stature. It's not just size, because it's what we assess to the size. Y'all yeah. yeah. hear what I'm talking about? And so for many of us, what's really actually funny is for big guys who walk in, we assess to you that you have the ability to take our life by snapping your fingers. <laughs> because you're large, so we assess something to your stature. But that's actually not the truth. We should fear the little guys, okay? Those are the ones that know ninja moves and can really take you out, okay? But what we're assessing in it, what she assessed in that moment hanging onto my leg is this, this issue of, of stature. And, and according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, stature means this, it is the quality or status gained by growth, development, or achievement. Stature speaks to the quality and the character of a thing. When people see it, when they experience it, when they come in contact with it, they're impacted and typically changed by it. You ever been around somebody with, with great stature and they, they almost kind of change you? They change the way that you think, they change the way that you talk, they change the way that you behave. I love, I, I love golf, I love the game of golf. It's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I'll play with golfers who are worse than me, but what I love doing is I love playing with golfers who are significantly better than me. Here's why, it's the principle of stature. Because of their stature within this sport, it automatically, it automatically elevates me. 
I play better, I engage better, I'm more focused. It's, it's wild how it works. And so that's the principle of, of stature. This is what it means to have stature. Here's the question I wanna ask us today. When we think of the church, do we think about stature? Here's another question that I wanna ask us. If the well were to disappear tomorrow, would our community feel it? If our community was to bump into us tomorrow, would they be changed by it? Stature. And I believe that when it comes to relationships, stature is such an important and vital aspect of the equation. As Peter leads us into the section concerning relationships, he gets very specific as to what the stature of the church should be. Remembering that you and I are the church, living stones. So again, it's not the building, it's not the four walls, it's not the lights, it's not the stage, it's you and I. It's how we interact with people, it's how we interact with the community, it's how we interact with each other, it's how we interact with the world at, at, at large. Now to be honest, the church, we, big C and little c, have been taking some pretty significant hits over the past few years let alone the past few centuries. And to be fair, many of the critiques are warranted. Would you agree with me? Yeah, for sure. However, I also believe that many, if not most, are one-sided, slanted, broad in characterization, and aimed at one purpose, the dismantling of and the tearing down of the church. The truth is that the church as a whole has a lot more stature than what it's given credit for. Oh, come on, that's a good place to say amen. The church as a whole has a whole lot more stature than what it's given credit for. Now remember, you're the church. We've been talking about this in the series, living stones. And I would hope that you and I would be in the same type of position where we'd say, man, there's a lot more to us than what meets the eye. There's a whole lot more to us than what people are giving us credit for. So recently, my friend and, and the lead pastor of a church in Rockwall, Texas uh, called Lake Point Church, his name's uh, Josh, and he just recently did a bunch of research and then he posted a, just a massive, he posted it on Twitter and Instagram and in Facebook, all this research, research and like these Twitter shots. And social media grabbed a hold of it. A bunch of people grabbed a hold of it. Pastors all over the nation were retweeting it. Many other people were tweeting it because what happened is he, he decided to really dig in and, and look at what is culture saying about the church and what does data say about the church. Because how many of you know it's one thing to have a feeling or an emotion about something, it's another thing to actually have data to prove it, right? And so he went on this. So the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm gonna read his research to you in the way that he did it, and I wanna make sure that I give honor where honor is due. These are not my thoughts. I completely stole it from him, okay? And I'm just now reading it to you so that you can grab a hold of it. And so these are Josh's talking points, and you're gonna see some data graphics that come up, and then this week we're gonna release some of those data, uh, data points as well so that you can grab a hold of them and, and see them. There's some big studies that were done. These were not just Christian studies. Harvard was involved with this. Uh, Western Journal uh, uh, talked about some of this. All kinds of different, for lack of better terms, secular organizations were helping with this data. Does that sound good? Here's the first, does that sound good? All right, stature, the first one says this, culture. This is what culture says. Evangelicals, okay, let's stop for a second. Just so we're clear, evangelicals is not a swear word, okay? <laughs> it's, it's for those of us who decide, like our, our purpose is to evangelize the world, to, to, to give proclamation about the gospel, okay? So it doesn't have all this twisted stuff that can get wrapped into it sometimes. It's just a way that we do things, okay? So evangelicals, this is what culture says, evangelicals aren't really pro-life, they're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. Data, 
Conservative Christians adopt more children than any other population segment, more than doubling the norm. That's the data. And if you get excited about any of these one things, feel free to clap afterwards, it's great. It's a lot of fun, the first service did it. It was a lot of fun. Which for some of you, this is a really big issue because we have families in this room right now that are like our headlong, grace-filled into adoption and fostering children. And I would say that this is a space that the church needs to enter into. It's not a program that the church does necessarily, but it's a grace that the church operates in. And I would say for some of you, start praying about that, start leaning into that. We could literally change a generation if we would step up to the plate, adopt and or foster children, amen? Okay. This is what the culture says. Culture says the church is sexually repressive and anti-sex, purity culture. Here's the data, church-going conservative Christians are in a category with the most fulfilling sex lives. Come on, somebody. I got the biggest amen in the first service I'd ever heard in my life. It was awesome. I loved it. So this is, this is what it allows me to say. This is, what, this is what the data is suggesting is that Christians are having better sex than anybody else. In marriage. <laughs> the, the singles are like, I'm not in that data, okay. Good, you don't need to be, calm down. And talk to you later on after Easter, okay? This is important because I think what we, what we fail to realize is that some of these things when we talk about holiness, which Pastor Erica did a phenomenal job last week talking about holiness, come on. That somehow it's repressive and it's evil and it's all these bad things. Actually, no, it's setting you up and saving you for what God has for you in the context of covenant. We're not ashamed about that around here. Here's the third one, culture says this, the church is emotionally repressive and destructive to your mental health. <laughs> the data says this, regular church attendance dramatically improves your mental health. The only people in the US whose mental health improved in 2020 was regular church attenders. What I love about our church, you come in here and everybody's like, Wee! just bouncing around, right? You're like to the greeters, can you just bring it down just a notch? No, this is good for your head, right? This is. Culture says this, evangelicals don't care about the poor, they just care about political power. Here's the data. Church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population, okay? It's actually why I find it fascinating. It's like, I don't need to give at church, I don't need to give at church. The data would actually suggest if you're not giving at church, you're not giving anywhere. That's what the data suggests. So it's a, it's a powerful, powerful statement. Here's the, here's the next cultural sound bite, is the church is oppressive to women, a tool of the abusive patriarchy, and creates toxic relationships for women. Here's the data, conservative Christian gender traditional church going women are in the happiest relationships in America and abuse decreases by 50% in this category. Church attendance significantly decreases abuse of women. There, there's issues for sure and things happen that's because the church is full of humanity. But what the data is suggesting is that it's not, the church is not, we actually have more stature than what the world is giving us credit for. 
So can I say, if you're learning about the church through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you're not learning about the church, okay? Y'all with me still? Okay, culture says this, the church is morally backwards and bad for society. Data, the church is awesome for society and the higher the church attendance, the lower the burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, homicide, etc. okay? Churches literally change neighborhoods. There's another one, culture. Church is irrelevant or ideologically and emotionally harmful to raising children. Data, regular church attendance significantly decreases all three of the big three dangers in adolescence, depression, substance abuse, and sexual promiscuity. All three of them. Like I said, if you wanna read these, if you wanna read these stats, we'll, we'll get them out for you this week. Um, or you can go look up Josh Howerton's account and uh, you, can, you can find these on his, on his thing. Uh, here's the next one, culture. The church doesn't help your marriage. The divorce rates are the same. Have you heard this before? Come on, how many of you have heard this before? Like the church, it, we, we can't be, there, there's no way that they can speak to that. Like the divorce rates are the, are the same. Here's what the data suggests. Conservative Christians who attend church regularly are 35% less likely to divorce. So it's not the same. What it's suggesting is that going to church together actually changes things. Let's go back to the other data point earlier. <laughs> and it helps with that too. Um, so it changes things. Here's the, here's the cultural statement. Church is a waste of time. A Harvard, a Harvard study, regular attendance literally gives you more time, increasing life expectancy up to seven years. That's a Harvard study that did that. I think it was like a 40 page essay too that was done, so have fun, okay? This is not to say that the church is without problems, flaws, because we're a part of it. But so often that we, we buy into the cultural narrative that's being leveled against Christ followers, and this narrative tends to cause us to, to have a degree of shame or embarrassment for those who are living their life in such a way to follow Jesus. Can I just echo the words of Paul? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not ashamed to lift my hands to heaven. I'm not ashamed to lift my voice to the creator of the universe. I am not ashamed to reach the world around me. I am not ashamed to share the love of Jesus. I am not ashamed to worship out loud. I am not ashamed of my word. I am not ashamed of my marriage. I'm not ashamed that God has a great future for me. Oh, come on, somebody, anybody thankful for Jesus? Since when did we get ashamed? My marriage is better because of Jesus. My parenting is better because of Jesus. My life is generally better because of Jesus. I don't fear the things I used to. I don't look at things the same way I used to. I don't see life the way that I used to. I'm generally not as afraid as I used to be. And I just walked through the same few years that we have walked through together. And guess what? I'm still holding my head high because I know the one who authors it all. I know the rock on which I stand. I know the one who I build 
my life on, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is not the big bad organization that it's been made out to be, or the great evil that it's been demonized as. You ever heard of this dude named Satan? It's a real wicked cat. <laughs> this is what the Bible tells us about him. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. So it's not, we're not, the world says that we are, but rather the church is a beautiful living and breathing gospel community that at its core is a hospital for both the broken and the redeemed, the rejected and the resurrected, the hurt and the healed, the discouraged and the encouraged, the fearful and the faith-filled. And the reason that the church can be that is because it's a house of stature. Yeah. It's a house of stature. G.K. Chesterton said it like this, abolish religion if you like. Throw everything on secular government if you like. But do not be surprised if a machinery that was never meant to do anything but to cure external decency and order fails to secure internal honesty and peace. Wow. And this is why Peter's words are so powerful to us and so important for us right now. Stature matters. The reason that every single one of us sitting in these seats today, I don't know what your life is, I don't know what's going on in your background. There's different ages and races and stages and nationalities, gender in this room today. Sitting together, you know why we can all do this and this isn't happening anywhere else in the world? It's because the church is a house of stature. Yeah. Only strong things can contain this. That's why all over in the world, we're breaking into our isolated places. Come on. We've heard from people every single week that leave this place and they go, how is this happening here? I like to say, I don't know, but the truth is, is I do know. It's that how good it is when brethren dwell together for it commands a blessing. Come on, is anybody thankful for Jesus today? The rock on which I stand. And so because this is a 30,000 foot view message, we're gonna burn through these next few points. I've got eight of them, and so, I'm just kidding, I don't. <laughs> Some of you are wondering, you're like, what? No, I don't, I don't, I don't. But I wanna give us three, three directives that Peter gives us that I, I think distinguish our stature. Again, we're just highlighting them today, and then on the backside of Easter, it's when we're gonna really like head dive into all of this stuff. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, so here's the, here's the three directives that, that Peter gives us. The first one's this, need your help today, every shot number one. Here's the first one, honor. We gotta honor. It gets quiet when we use this word. <laughs> Come on, we gotta honor. Come on, we gotta honor. Come on, we gotta, we gotta honor. The Greek word that's used here is tomeo. It means to honor, to value, to esteem, to respect. In other words, the admonishment that we are being given here is to respect Everyone. <laughs> what? Wait, are you saying that I don't just respect those that I want to respect? 
Like, you mean everyone? Like the person that I, I secretly want to, like, push over when I <laughs> walk past them? Yep. See, because the Greek word that's being used here is, is very directive of this nature. And Peter is assessing it to followers of Christ, that we honor everyone. How many of you agree with me? Honor's been lost in this church. We actually have gotten really good at dishonor. We now wear it as a badge to be able to disrespect rather than to respect. We see more interviews and more commentary and more news segments about how much this person deserves our dishonor than it is our honor, and Christians participate in it. Because somehow, in some place and in some space, we came to the conclusion that we have the right to do so if someone disagrees with us on something. This is what's really hard about this piece of scripture because Peter's saying to honor everyone. That's hard. Now, can I allow the Bible to just offend us some more? (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. We love that. We can get down with that. We like that one. And then watch, it says, take the lead in honoring one another. Take the lead in honoring one another. Romans 13, seven through eight. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who you owe taxes. <laughs> tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those who you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. We just read Romans chapter 12, verse 10, but now I want us to see it within the great context of Romans chapter 12, nine through 18. It says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, just in case you missed the first point. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on everyone else. As much as it depends on Mitch. As much as it depends on Devon as much as it depends on me. Live at peace with everyone. It's almost as if this piece of scripture was written to make us go to our knees after it's read and say, God, forgive us where we haven't participated in honor. But, but, you, but you don't understand, you don't know what was said, you don't know what was done, you don't know what's happened, you don't... Honor. This is what it means to be a house of stature, to, to be people that show and exemplify honor. I've sat with people that I vehemently disagree with and showed honor and respect. People that I don't have the same ideological and political and theological discourse as, honor and respect. I have a cachet of statements that I felt like I wanted to put out on Twitter and Instagram over the past couple years. Didn't send them. 
Come on, how many of you know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And I pull it out occasionally just to sh- like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> I should have sent that one. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing that I need to understand. Dishonor is always, dishonor will always say more about us than it says to anybody else. Second one, every shot number two. Here's the second directive. He says love, every shot love. Love. We like this one, don't we? It gets all like gooey and mushy in this one. Love. And that's how we tout it right now. Like the church is really good espousing love. We're just to love everybody. But there's different words that the Bible actually gives us to help us understand love. We'll deal with this a lot more on the backside of Easter, but here's the, the Greek word, gabeo, to esteem, to love. I want you to hear this, this is the important part. It is indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or something, finding one's joy. So we have a direction of will and finding one's joy. Have you ever met that person where you've gotta really f- like find something to love about them? <laughs> Come on, you can laugh, church, it's okay, but it's real life, right? Because a lot of us have grown up with the idea, especially those of us who grew up in church, it's like, my job's to like everybody. No, it's not. You, you can't, it's physically impossible, right? And like in a room this size, across all of our services, it's very possible that you dislike somebody, you may dislike me, and that's fine. But what the Bible's actually talking about is finding a love that is of will, and you're finding something to love about the other person. Come on, somebody. Versus emotion. A lot of us think it's, a lot of us think that love is this, this emotive thing when it comes down to it. But it's not true. Because there's hard, like people are hard to love at times. As you walk through the last few years I've walked through, people are hard to love at times. They got stuff going on in their lives. There's, an, there's another type of love that the Bible talks about. It's the type of love that Erica and I have like she's enthralled with me. She's fascinated by me. She's <laughs> Did you see her last week? She fawned in this moment. She's like, ah. So <laughs> But in all truth, there's there's other times where she's like, this is sheer willpower. <laughs> this is a, motive and, and, and there's that going on. And like I said, we're gonna, we're gonna get into this love thing, so I don't wanna really drill deep into it today, but I, I want us to, to focus on this because he says, he says, love brothers and sisters. So the love for the world versus love for brothers and sisters, there is a different type of, there is a type, a different type of connotation. It's just true. Because there's a familial aspect to living stones being built into a spiritual house. Y'all remember that? That's why this is really important for us. So, Ephesians 4, one through six says this, therefore I, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Very powerful scripture, theologically rich. But this is what Paul is helping us understand is what love for brother and sister looks like. It's a calling to walk out. Love is seen in humility. Love is seen in gentleness. 
Love maintains unity. Come on, somebody. Love is seen in peace. And can I just say this about the unity issue? I feel like I wanna tap on this one in this service. Unity is not uniformity. Love maintains unity. I think this is really important because of the context within church, but then I hear this from a lot of people that are like, hey, why can't just all the churches just work together and be this one thing? It's because God didn't call us to uniformity, he called us to unity. And this is what I love about every local church in this valley is that every single one of them has a different fingerprint. Because we're gonna reach different people than that church is gonna reach and that church is gonna reach and that church is gonna reach. Our church is not better than any other church, just so you know. And if the well's not for you, I would lovingly help you find the right church to be a part of. But the well has a fingerprint in the way we do things as well. And guess what? So we are striving for unity in this valley. We're just not striving for uniformity. We're striving for unity in this house, not uniformity. We should not all look the same. We should not all have the same socioeconomic background. We should not all have all the same likes and, and dislikes. Y'all see what I'm talking about? But for, for so much of, of history, we tried to create uniformity. The church is supposed to look the same, be the same, act the same. We're supposed to act in accordance with this right here. Yeah. Yeah. Unity is different than uniformity. You're with me still. Yeah. And love is how we do this. We'll share more on that later. Number three, last one. Everybody shout number three. three. Here's the final one. Y'all, y'all getting something out of this this morning? Okay. Here's the third one. This one's a little wild, but he says it. He says, so I want you to honor everyone. In the back side of the statement, he says, I want you to honor the emperor. So we, we talked about honor. And then he says, I want you to love brothers and sisters. And then he says this, I want you to fear God. Fear God. Proverbs chapter nine, verses 10 through 12 tells us this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The other day we were watching, uh, watching a show and as we were watching the show, there was like a preview that came on and the preview that came on, I think we were watching Netflix or Amazon, one of the two, but um, it was the Scream movie. Have you guys seen Scream before? Um, no one's gonna raise their hand, I understand that, so. <laughs> he, I'm not raising my hand, I'm not gonna tell anybody. So, so anyways, uh, so we see this preview come on and it sent us back to our high school years. And I remember, I remember when Scream first came out. So for a lot of us, this idea of fear uh, very much falls in line with what we would see like running from a homicidal maniac. That's what, that's what we think fear is. So a lot of us have gotten that picture with God, that if I fear God, it's like I gotta be scared of him. Like he's gonna pop around a corner and like boom, lightning bolt, dust, gone. <laughs> that's not the fear of God. The word that's used for fear is to have reverence or worshipful And this is why, because God has complete power and authority. A.W. Tozer said it like this, no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. A lot of us wanna run around and talk about how good God's grace is. You do not know how good God's grace is until you understand how big God is. I've gotta have awe and reverence for him for me to even semi-comprehend how good his grace is. 
that almighty God, the one who literally put the stars into the sky, breathed life into you and I. That very God, the one who would lay his life upon a cross and three days later get out of the grave and then ascend to the right hand of the Father. That very God is the same God who loves you and loves me. Oh, my friend, when I understand how big he is, then I understand how good his grace is. chose to. When we launched this church, I met one of the most powerful people I've ever met in my life, the fire marshal. <laughs> He's no joke. <laughs> how, many of, how many of you have heard of the fire marshal before? Yeah, he's, he's this guy with insane amounts of power. If you're a fire marshal in here, I love you. <laughs> you can ask anybody who's dealt with the fire marshal before, like he could literally come in here if he wanted to. He could look at this cord and be like, I don't like that cord. And he could shut us down. I, I don't like Joey's guitar pedal. He's got, he's got some stuff sticking out. It looks like it's gonna blow up and catch on fire. Shut him down. <laughs> I don't like the angle of that door. I don't like the color of his sweatshirt. Shut him down. That is the fire, that's the fire marshal. So when any construction worker or anybody comes in, contractor comes in, like we can like, Seth deals with these guys all the time. Pastor Seth deals with these guys all the time. And so for most people, you don't, like it's really not a big deal. They come in, they look around the building and everything like that. But when the fire marshal comes, whoa, everybody's in suits. <laughs> When the fire marshal comes, everybody's tense, making sure that everything is right, everything is in its place, everything is the way that it needs to be. Why? Because we understand his power and his authority. Yeah. Yeah. That is true power and that is true authority. And guess what that is? That's fear. Yeah. Now, we don't worship the fire marshal, but I've got odd reference for the fire marshal. You know what's very interesting and I've noticed is in the context of especially modern day church, we've become very flippant with God. We see him as a contractor, a construction worker, not the fire marshal. We see him as our buddy, our friend. That was the movement that we went through over the past 20 years, that God is our friend, Jesus is our friend. For sure, he's very much that. But can we just all remember he's God Almighty? We stand before him with odd reverence. This is what makes our worship worship. We're not celebrating a friend who just won a championship. <laughs> We're not cheering on our kid at school. We're not having an emotive moment where we just sing these songs that sound really good and it's fun to lift our hands and sing praises. Oh no, my friend, you need to understand that when we worship, we are worshiping the God Almighty. He is the one that is and was and is to come. He's the one that stands before all things. He's the one that was before all things. Oh, he put breath in you, and he put life in you, and he gave you grace and love. That's what it is to fear God. That's what it is to stand in awe and reverence, and I bow before him. 
That's why the house is a house of stature. Because it's not built on us, it's built on Him. And He's good. He's so good. And He loves you. And that's why grace is so powerful. But you don't know grace until you know His power. And here's why, because true power knows how to step down from power. And the Bible tells us he stepped out of heaven and he wore humanity and he did it perfectly. He did it without blemish, without sin. He was persecuted and he was spat on. And culture threw the stones that they're still throwing today. And he went to the cross. And he gave his life for you and for me. And I don't know if we've had a moment in a while where we've got to step back and go, listen, out of everything else, I don't fear him because I'm scared of him. I fear him because I'm in awe of that type of power. Come on, he's that good. Come on, he's that good. Oh, I said he's that good. Oh, does someone have a praise in their belly today? Oh, we worship you, God. We just lift our hands to heaven all across this room today. Jesus, we praise you. We honor you in this place. God, we praise you right now.
on, can we worship him? Come on, can we give him a shout of praise? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. invite you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. And for some of you right now, this is your moment. God is shouting from heaven right now for your heart. For many of us in here today, we've, we've said yes to Jesus, trying to follow him, working this thing out. But some of us in here today need to say yes to him. Not yes from an emotive perspective or yes from a place of just to do something, but yes from the place of I will follow him, I will give him my life because he gave his life for me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, some of us need to be praying right now. We're gonna pray a prayer all together so we don't leave anybody out. But if that's you today, you're saying, man, Jason, I need to say yes to this Jesus. I need to follow this Jesus. Make this your prayer today. We're all gonna do it together so we don't leave anybody out. Come on, with all the faith in the world, would you just say this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I am deciding that I'm turning from my ways and I'm following your ways. In Jesus' mighty name, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today and you're saying, that's me, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Come on, would you just shoot your hand up right now? Right now, if that's you, right here, right here, right here. Come on, anybody else? Anybody else today? Right over here, 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 right over here. Come on, is there anybody else today? Come on. anybody else today that would say this is me this is my moment oh man can we lift our head can we open our eyes can we celebrate right now come on for those of you who lifted your hand today for those of you who prayed that prayer today I want you to hear me when I say this when this service dismisses I need you to walk right onto that lobby there's a big group of tables and I need you to go to the team and I need you to say, can I get my Bible and can I get my book? You need this one first. Don't worry about this one as much, but this one for sure is the roadmap for all things faith. But we created a little resource for you to be able to just kind of ask questions and help kind of pair with this so you kind of understand next steps as well. There's a QR code out there. All of, our, all of our next step videos are live right now. So you can get that on your phone and you can just walk through this, walk through the Bible, walk through the videos. And it's a great next step resource to help you in your journey of following Jesus. Because we wanna partner with you. We do not do this journey alone in Jesus' name. So we just wanna celebrate you one more time. Can we put our hands together for all those saying yes to Jesus today? Okay. Let's lift our hands to heaven just one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this amazing gospel community, living stones. So Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, as we, as we leave the building, I pray that we would go be the church, that we would honor everyone, that we would love one another, and that we would fear you. I thank you for what it is that you're doing in this place, and we give this entire morning to you right now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church, shout it. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed. We'll see you right back here next weekend.